Thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your light. It is your truth. Thank you that it is your voice. And that with your voice, you awaken dead people. And that with your voice, you call your children to repentance. That you call us back to yourself. Father, I pray that you would make me faithful to preach your word. To preach the text as you intended it to be uh, taught. And we pray that your spirit would make sure that it has the uh, desired effect that you spoke it for. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is, uh, here is a text uh, of Scripture, which is, a, uh, which is Jesus saying a number of things. And uh, it seems a little unclear, maybe, at first. If, if you have some experience reading the Bible, you might have, you might have recognized a number of these, these little phrases that Jesus has said. And you'll notice that actually in other gospel accounts of Jesus's life, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. You find these sayings in just different contexts that Jesus says them. And Mark here squishes them all uh, together. And he does that to make a very clear pastoral point. By pastoral point means he's shepherding us. He's shepherding us in a direction. He wants us to notice something and go in that direction. As a shepherd would warn his sheep or encourage his sheep or comfort his sheep. The first thing I think that we can see is very, very plain from the whole of this text. God will make clear what may now seem hidden. God will make clear what may now seem hidden. Let's read 21 to see this, just to to, to be refreshing our minds here. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not in a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You can see that is a very clear point here. God will make clear what may now seem hidden. And the first thing we can see from our context, if you remember what Jesus said in the last, uh, the last uh, bit of scripture that, that uh, preceded this, we, we see the immediate context is talking about Christ. And we see firstly that Christ will not always be hidden. Christ will not always be hidden. Now, what do we mean by Christ being hidden? In some ways, we could say Christ is hidden now. We saw this in our previous walk through this, uh, the, the previous passages in Mark. There's a way in which Christ seems hidden right now. There are many people who do not see Christ as the Savior of the world. They do not see him as the heir of the world. They do not see him as the Son of God. They do not see, they do not see him as, as God himself come in the flesh. There's many people even though the gospel is incredibly clear, who deny what is plain, that God has created the world and that that Jesus himself is God come in the flesh. And this will not always be hidden. There is coming a day when every single knee will bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every single one, every single angel that God made, Every single human that God made will confess that Jesus is Lord. They will confess this to the glory of God. Even those who hate him. 
Even those who right now say, oh, I don't seem to think that he is Lord, they will confess that he is Lord. God will reveal this incredibly plainly to every single person. No one will deny this when the Lord Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. Those who acted as though he was hidden will be too embarrassed on that day to continue to say that. It's not like they will say, well, he was hidden and, and I didn't see him because he was hidden, but now he's revealed. And so, yes, now I say that Christ is Lord, but I had no reason to say that beforehand. Those people will be too embarrassed to say that because they will look back on their lives and say, I knew it was true. I knew there was a God. I knew there was a God who created the whole universe. And I knew he must be a good and wise God. And I knew what was right and wrong. And I knew I was disobeying it. And I invented ways of, of ignoring the fact that God's rules were true and good. People will be too embarrassed to say that during their life, before Christ returned, that the existence of God was not plain. Dear friends, because the existence of God is very plain for all to see. He has revealed that for every single one to see. And the reason people deny it is not because it hasn't been revealed. But our hearts are so wicked that we deny what is plain, that there is a God who created the entire universe. And as the creator of that universe, he is the king and lawgiver. The other thing that is very plain to see, dear friends, is that God's laws are good. God's law is the way that he has created the world. The moral laws that he has given to every single human, and he's written them onto our hearts. He's written them into every society. We know what is good, and we know what is evil. And society may try to rebel against those rules and say, we need to lift off these chains and, and unbreak the, we have to break these shackles because these, these laws that we have been kind of living by for generations, they're bad laws. Laws about sexual identity, laws about faithfulness, laws about lying, laws about murdering children. Oh, we need to throw off those shackles. They're bad. Dear friends, there will be a day when everyone who said that will agree that they knew they were good laws they were rebelling against. And for those who heard the gospel and rejected and who, when they're rejecting it now, saying, well, I don't find it very beautiful. I don't find it very clear. I don't find it plain. Those people who heard the gospel in this life and rejected it, they'll admit it was plain. And they knew it was beautiful. And it was their sin that kept them from embracing the gospel. Christ will not always be hidden. The other thing that will not always be hidden, and we see this from, uh, if we look at other texts that say these same things that Jesus has said, is that the false righteousness of the wicked will not always be hidden. There is a false righteousness of the wicked. And we see this particularly in our society, but in every single society that has ever lived, this has been true. There are some people, or so, there, there are some sins that, that society holds up as nonsense. There are things that the Bible says, these are really wicked to do, that a society says, they're great to do. 
where God says people who do these should repent and be ashamed. They should humble themselves. Society says we should be proud of these things. That false righteousness will be exposed. Public sins that people have been convinced are actually righteousness. But it's also true that hidden sins will be exposed. Those sins that people hid in order to make everybody think that they were great and I don't even need God because I am without sin. Those sins will too be exposed. And Brother Kevin read for us from Psalm 37, which in this is a major theme of that text, where the people of God cry out and say, why is it that people who are living in wickedness, not repenting of it, proud of it, why is it that they're elevated? And God tells his people, be patient. One day it will be made very plain what is righteous and what is unrighteous. But the other thing that will not, be remain, that will not remain hidden is the true righteousness of the redeemed. The true righteousness of the redeemed. Because the opposite is often true, isn't it? The opposite is often true where things that God elevates in Scripture saying, this is righteous, I'm very pleased with this. And then the church will do these things, not perfectly, they'll repent and they'll fall, but the church elevates these things as righteous, like faithfulness to your spouse, embracing the identity that God gives you in Scripture. These things are often treated as wicked in society, aren't they? And what God's word says, this is like my son. I want these things. These things are beautiful. Society will try to put people to shame for believing these things. They'll want them to lose their families because of it. They'll want them to lose their jobs because of it. But one day, it will be made very plain that these are beautiful things. These, in fact, are righteous actions that God is pleased with. But it's also true of hidden righteousness. Most of the things that we do are not known to anyone. Most of our actions, either wicked or righteous, are not known to many people. The mom faithfully caring for her children and patiently enduring their weakness and sin for no one to see because she's not putting it on social media. Nobody notices that. And nobody is going to publicly praise her for that. But there is a day coming when for all those people whose sins have been covered by the blood of Christ, and then he works righteousness in us, those, those things he will put on public display. Not to give glory to that mom who did these things privately but to give glory to his son who paid for that woman's sin and who worked righteousness in her by the giving of his Holy Spirit to her. In Matthew 5, Jesus says something very similar. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
We aren't saved by the righteous change that Jesus makes within us. No one is saved by the righteous change that Jesus works within you. You're not saved because you receive Jesus and therefore he, and, and after that he produces righteousness in you and God says, there, you're righteous and now I'm going to save you. That's not what happens. If you are saved, you are saved by what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, not by what he does in you today. But he does promise. He does promise to work righteous deeds in his people. And these things are precious to Christ. And often they are mocked by the world. But Christ notices them, and one day he will put them on display In Revelation 19, Jesus calls these things the wedding garments, the decoration that the bride puts on herself before the wedding. Not in order to become the bride of Jesus, because she's so grateful she is. And even these things in Revelation 19, it says it was by the grace of God that she does these things. And she will not want glory for them. The church will not want glory for these things. When the righteous deeds of the saints of God's people are exposed, when God says, you thought these were stinky, but I find them beautiful, no one will want to receive glory for that. But the church will say, yet not I, but Christ in me. Let him get glory for these things. This also robs the damned of their accusations against God. Many people have said they rejected the gospel because Christians were so wicked. And the Bible does not say that you should become a Christian because Christians are better. But because Christ is righteous. And the church and God working righteousness and repentance in the church robs the damned of their accusations against God where they say, oh, the gospel of grace, forgiving people for their sins, just encourage them to sin more. Or those accusations that God is just a permissive father. Or those accusations that say, you cannot have joy and obey God's law because God's law is terrible. But God will, through his church, say, he will show that actually his law is good. It revives the soul And it proves that God is a good father. Not that we're good children, but that he is a good father who gives good commands, who forgives us when we sin, and he corrects us when we sin. That which is hidden will not remain hidden forever. That brings us to our second point. And here we get pretty specific. Here we see the text kind of going into two branches a positive branch, and a negative branch. I wonder if you notice that. And the first one we're going to look at is the positive branch. Those who give ear to the gospel will be overwhelmed with light. Let's look at 23 to 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Thus far God's word. Did you notice these two branches? One positive and one negative. And the first one we see is those who give ear to the gospel will be overwhelmed with light. Now, these verses have actually been taken out of context by many people. 
and twisted to mean many troubling things that they don't actually mean. The people who, has, who produced great wealth in the name of the Lord, they'll get even more wealth. It's not what this means. You have to ignore what Jesus is saying in order to come to that conclusion. But what does this verse plainly mean? Pay attention to the gospel. Pay attention to the gospel. Do not ignore it. Recognize that the gospel is the most precious thing that a sinner could ever hear. Even if your heart or your soul doesn't feel like paying attention to the gospel, you know you should. We sang a song today that talks that where you're talking to your soul, which is actually quoting from scripture. Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. Where you're able to say, I'm not feeling like the gospel is important right now, but I know it is. And so you talk to your heart. Heart, take this seriously. This is the most precious thing. This is lethal to ignore. Pay attention to the gospel. Of what Jesus has done to save sinners. And the more you make use of, the more you treasure the word of God, the more you meditate on the word of God, the more it will be opened to you. Your eyes will become increasingly opened. When you become a Christian, not everything in the scripture is plain and obvious to you. I mean, maybe you're one of those miraculous people who immediately understands everything without having any growth or any, any uh, period where you're growing. But for the rest of us mere mortals, there is a growth in understanding of the knowledge of God. And some things in the Bible are incredibly clear, but others, you have to wrestle with them. You have to meditate. They take, they take a longer time for you to understand. And there might be portions that seem kind of still hidden to you. Make use of what God has given those things that you do currently understand. Trust them. Those promises that God has given that you now understand already, don't ignore those things that you already understand. Treasure them. Live by them. And the commands that God has given, those ones that you do already understand, obey them. Trust that they are the commands of a good father who gives good commands. Search and study. Delight in what you do understand. And for those things you do not yet understand, seek help from brothers and sisters in Christ who do know those things. Repentance is similar. Repentance is similar. Because when you repent of sin, you are shedding the light of the gospel on those sins. And it has often been the case for somebody who has been ignoring a part of the Bible if there's a command of God that they're just simply ignoring, I will not obey this. I'm just going to ignore it. I don't want to pay attention to it. There's a sin that you're like, I'm not going to repent of. It has often been the case that when they repent of that sin, they now get to see the rest of their life more clearly. There's, there's things in their life that they would have never thought were sinful because they just didn't have the capacity to see anything other than this particular sin. 
Now, the word of God is actually God's word about himself. It's not simply a list of commands. This is God revealing himself. And through the word of God, we know God himself. Even his commands teach us about God. If God says, do not do this, we know something about God's character. If God says, do this, we know something about his character. When God says husbands ought to be faithful to their wives, we know something about God's character, that he is a faithful husband to the church. And when the Bible says, do not lie, we know something about God's character, that he is true and that he can never lie to us and he never will. By the Bible, we know his attributes, his character, his commands, his promises. And dear Christian, as you learn more and you embrace what you learn, you will grow in your ability to be warned by Scripture. You will grow in your ability to be motivated by Scripture. You will grow in your ability to be comforted by Scripture when you are in distress. You will grow in your ability to be delighted by the things that Scripture says are delightful. And you'll grow in your ability to be led by the voice of the good shepherd, which is not God saying things to you in your mind, but is his very word. To be a Christian is to enjoy Christ's relationship with God. Not to enjoy your relationship with God, the things that you have accomplished, the achievements you have done, but to enjoy what Christ has achieved. Remember, he swapped places with us. He took what we deserved so we could enjoy what he deserves. And in Ephesians 1, Paul prays this prayer, or he talks about him praying this prayer. Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Here it is. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what, what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so what he is saying is that he is praying that the church as they're searching through the treasure of Scripture, will be looking through the treasure vault of the family of God. All the things that Christ has purchased for us with his blood, Scripture reveals to us. And we get to, we will grow in our ability to know these things and enjoy these things. You'll get more and more of the light of Christ. And you will do that in part now. So that 
the moment that you became a Christian to the moment that you die, you will grow in your understanding of how great God is. You'll grow in your understanding of how holy he is. You'll grow in your understanding of how much you really did need Christ to save you from sin. But you're also going to grow in your understanding of how sweet the love of God is. But as much progress as you make in this life in the knowledge of God, it will pale in comparison to what you will know when Christ returns or the moment that you die and you see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, then I shall now, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Dear Christians, grow in grace now. The more light of the word of God that you have, embrace all of it. Do not be foolish enough to say, I can ignore this part and continue to grow. But we do our best to see right now in part. But one day, it will not be seeing in part any longer. In Revelation 22, verse 22, uh, 21, verse 22, John describes what it'll be like in the new heavens and earth. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory in it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. For those who pay attention to the gospel, we will be increasingly overwhelmed with the light of the gospel. God giving us more and more understanding of the sweetness of what it is to belong to him. Until the day of the Lord, when we will see all the glory and light of God, it will be certainly revealed. Our third point is that negative branch. Those who ignore the gospel will be overwhelmed with darkness. Those who give ear to the gospel will be overwhelmed with light, but those who ignore the gospel will be overwhelmed with darkness. Let's just refresh, our, refresh ourselves with this passage again. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is true for those who ignore the gospel altogether. Nobody deserves to hear the gospel. No enemy deserves to hear that God has made a rescue for them. We're guilty without hearing the gospel. You don't need to hear the gospel in order to be guilty. It is 
from sinning against God that people go to hell. You are guilty without hearing the gospel. But many do not hear the gospel. But to hear the gospel and ignore it is to add more condemnation. Now, those who, there, there are many people who reject the gospel altogether. And they prefer another measure or test. They prefer some other way to say that they're okay with God. Or they do not have to fear God's judgment. They prefer some other measure, some other way of figuring out who's a good person or who gets to go to heaven. One of the ways is somebody who looks at your, his own works and expects to be saved. There are many people who reject the gospel of Christ-saving sinners and say, no, the one I would prefer, the way to, that we should get to heaven, is by looking at the good things I've done, God assessing those things, God saying, way to go, Derek, go to heaven. And Jesus is saying, the measure you use will be measured then. If that's the way you want to be judged, that is the way you will be judged. And Christ assures us that every single person who stands before God based on what they have done, 100% of those people will go to hell. Because all of us are guilty. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God says, if that's the gospel you trust, that you will be judged by your own works, so shall it be. Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus uses this to speak about how we treat other people. There are those who at first sound like they like the gospel, but they hate forgiveness. They think forgiveness is disgusting. They think forgiveness is a sign of weakness. They think that Forgiveness is the worst thing you could do. And you can tell how they treat other people. They hate forgiving. They think it's terrible and unglorious to forgive people. And so Christ says, so shall it be. When you meet the Lord, you will meet a measure which does not honor forgiveness. And you will not be forgiven. And then there are those who call themselves Christian, and they, they take as little of Christianity as they can. There are people who take as little of Christianity as, as, as they possibly can. I've got forgiveness. I like that bit. That's my favorite part. That's the only part I like. I like the part where I do not get a punishment, but I despise the rest. When Christ talks about being a child of God, being rescued from sin, I hate that. I'm going to ignore everything except the part that says Derek is forgiven. I'm going to shut my ears to everything that God said except for that part about going to heaven. I will not have ears to hear the commands of Christ. I'm going to shut my eyes to that light. Now, I want to be comforted by the comforts that I hear in Scripture. I've got ears to hear that. But I will not be warned by its warnings. I will not be moved by its commands. I will not love what it says God loves. And I will not hate what it says God hates. That's one way of ignoring the light of the gospel. By taking as little of Christianity as you can. But there's another way that's a little less obvious. Those who take as much of Christianity as they can, except one or two things. Maybe that's forgiving others. I'm taking everything about Christianity... I'm just going to ignore the part. I'm going to be deaf to the part about forgiving other people. When people sin against me, 
you don't understand. My life is hard and it's very difficult for me. If you knew my situation, you wouldn't say I should forgive the people in my life. I'm going to ignore that. Or the part about generosity or the part about sexual sin or the part about gossip. And maybe you take pride in your maturity in all the other areas. I'm so proud of how good of a Christian I am in so many of these other areas. I ignore everything God says about this thing. And maybe you actually take so much pride in the things that you're good at that it actually helps you not be worried that you're, ex- you're ignoring what God has said in these areas. During Pride Month, this is a big issue for us, dear Christians. Because you might be taking great pride in the fact that you have not fallen into the LGBTQ revolution. You might take so much pride in that. That is why I'm so sure I'm a child of God. And yet, you're ignoring the past, some passages of Scripture. But you think it's fine because you are, you are obeying the most important ones. Now, dear friends, it is true that the sexual revolution is a rejection of God and that you cannot embrace those identities and be a Christian. But it is also true that somebody who rejects that revolution could also be a non-Christian. And so you take portions of the word. I'm very able to be comforted by God's word, by its comforts. But what he says is that what light you have will be taken away. Maybe in this life and maybe in the next life. Maybe in this life. It could be true that you're so good at ignoring what God is saying about this particular sin in your life that you actually start deafening your ears to God's voice. And soon your ability to be comforted by the comforts of the word, even that will be fading Soon your ability to care about the cross will fade. And soon your ability to care about your standing before God will fade. You're so used to ignoring God's light that even the light that you had fades away. And perhaps it's not until the next life. And Jesus says, no light will remain for those who are not in Christ. No comfort that you once took when you were thinking about God or Christ or heaven. All of those things will be gone. Matthew 25, 28. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we're to be very clear here. Those who fall away are not losing their salvation. They were never saved. The previous passage makes that very clear, the parable of the soils. They were never saved, but they were enjoying some of the benefits of salvation. They got to hear the comforts of the word of God and they were comforted by them. They got to live in the context of the word of God, which brought lots of benefits. But they were never truly saved. 
Salvation is trusting in Christ for reconciliation. It's not the ability to remain an enemy without consequence. It is to become a forgiven child, not a forgiven enemy. And even for those who are not pretending to be Christians, they have much light in this world. You might be somebody here right now who's not even pretending to be a Christian and you're not a Christian. There is so much light in this dark world for you right now. God has been kind and generous even to his enemies. He says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He gives us food to eat that tastes good. He gives us health and medicine. He gives us laughter. He gives us rivers and trees and fields. He gives us pleasure. He gives us sunshine. He gives us shade from the sunshine. He gives us rest and he gives us sleep. He gives us work and he gives us family. And these are markers of a good God who creates and gives good gifts. But this light, for those who are not in Christ, will one day be removed. And only darkness will remain. For those who are in Christ, all the darkness will be removed and only light will remain. But for those who are not in Christ, even the light that they once enjoyed of God's glory and presence while rejecting him, even that will be turned into darkness. Dear church, we need to embrace all the light that God gives us in his word. Do not be selective. Being selective in what parts of the Bible you hear might be an indication that you're not yet a Christian. But simply because you're struggling with a sin, because you're not yet perfect, no, none of us will be perfect until the Lord returns, it's not an indication you're not a Christian. But the question is, can all of the word of God grab your attention? When you're sinning, can it snap you out of it? Can it change your mind? Can you be, can you be comforted by its comforts? Yes, but can you also be warned by its warnings? So dear church, dear Christian, embrace correction. Maybe it's directly from the Spirit as you're reading God's Word. Maybe it's as people are teaching you. And maybe it's brothers or sisters noticing something about you, saying it looks like you're ignoring part of God's Word. And they tell you, they warn you, and they call you back. Embrace it all, dear Christian. Embrace the correction, but also embrace its comforts. Embrace its joys. Do not be satisfied when the Bible says, take joy in this, and you're like, well, I'm not going to. The joys and comforts aren't the most important part. The commands are, dear Christian, if the Bible gives you a joy that you can take joy in, do not ignore it. Take comfort in its comforts. Take joy in its, in its joys. Now, warnings are for God's people. And he gives us this warning so that his people will repent. So if there is something in your life, not that you've been struggling with, that's not what this is talking about, but something where you have just said, I'm going to ignore everything God has said. Stop doing that. Embrace all the light that God has given you, and he will continue to give you more and more enjoyment and understanding of the gospel. Why is it? Why is it that people who have embraced so much darkness, which is every single person in this room, each one of us has turned a blind eye to God, 
his goodness and his commands, his comforts, his warnings, his law. Every single one of us in this room has turned a blind eye who has ears not to hear. Why is it that we can have confidence in the future that we will be received into glory when we die or when the Lord returns? Why is it that we who have embraced so much darkness have so much confidence that it will be into the light of God that we will be received? Mark 15 tells us. Mark 15, 33. This is speaking of when Jesus was crucified. This is speaking of when Jesus was crucified. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that darkness, the darkness that covered that land for those three hours when Christ was crucified was merely a symbol of what was happening to Christ. He was being rejected by God. He was being damned by God. All the light of God's goodness was being kept from Christ. And all the darkness that you and I should receive in hell was being placed and poured out on Christ so that he cried out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Dear Christian, that is what you deserve. And yet, in his great love, Christ came to take it instead of you. That Christ bore the full brunt of all the darkness that we deserve so that we could forever enjoy all the great lights of God's glory and joy that he deserves. Because we have all walked in darkness. Every single one of us. We've all rejected God's laws. We've all broken his commands. We've all failed to thank him for what he has given. And we've treated things he's made as if they were God. And it is for sinners that Christ died. Christ will be glorified for his sacrifice. In the forgiveness of sinners. This is his work. And this is the gospel. This is the light that you are hearing right now, though you have walked in darkness and though you deserve to be cast into outer darkness for eternity, God has given his son and his son received the darkness that you deserved so that you could be reconciled to God. God would not pay for his work of redemption if he wasn't going to put it on display. Your church, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper right now, or communion. This is the gospel made visible in the bread and in the cup, helping us to remember the sacrifice that